I don't understand when it doesn't benefit you. The fiend laying there sizzling. Yeah, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. But Ric Flair, it's a legend. Humiliating him, no benefit for you. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Babylon. Babylon. Let's get to Babylon. It's all about some wrestling. Salutations, Marks. It's your boy Bobby, that bearded kid, a.k.a. Young Facial Hair, and welcome to The Tonight Show, starring Darby Fallon. Just kidding. Welcome to Babblemania, the podcast where we ramble about professional wrestling. I'm not going to keep you waiting. We're going to get straight into it. You know how it goes. Ring the bell. Time will tell. Let's get hairy. Hello, hello, hello. You know how it goes. When the bell makes a sound, we hit the ground running. And we're kicking off this discussion, as always, with our Monday Night Raw rundown. Tonight's show kicks off with a big surprise. And that surprise is the man himself, Triple H. He makes his way down to the ring, grabs a mic, hypes up the Thunderdome. But before he can get into whatever he wants to talk about, he is interrupted by none other than Randy Orton. Randy brings up the fact that Drew McIntyre can't be there this evening due to his positive test result for COVID and demands that Triple H either give him spot number 30 in the Royal Rumble or the WWE Championship itself. Hunter, completely unafraid, surprisingly praises Randy for going where he did when he burned the Fiend alive. And he tells Randy that he would have done the exact same thing because it, the Fiend, was what was holding Randy back from that next step towards greatness and that he himself has been there before. He then switches the script and questions Randy's ethics when it comes to how he treats legends. He brings up Ric Flair and says that although there may be a benefit to burning the Fiend alive, there is no benefit to assaulting legends. And that all of that, all of that proudness that he felt for Randy has been replaced by the fact that Randy is just a, quote, no good prick. Randy responds with a challenge, uh, a challenge to a match at the end of the night. And essentially, Triple H says that it does not benefit him, and he shoots him down. As Triple H is going to leave the ring, Randy says that the reason he said no is because Stephanie did not fly down to Florida with him this evening. Therefore, he doesn't have his testicles with him. (laughs) Hunter responds by acting as if he's going to say something, but instead just socks it to Randy. Just a big right hand, pow, right to Randy's face. Randy rolls out of the ring, slowly backs away, but then he begins to laugh, and then he says, I guess that's a yes. Now, this is not how I thought Monday Night Raw would begin this evening, but I am kind of here for it. Triple H's microphone skills have always been top tier, and the things that he said to Randy this evening were unbelievable. I really, really liked how he praised Randy for going to that dark place when he burned the fiend alive, and 
how he said that there like was a benefit for him to do that. And I really, really liked how he brought that back around by telling Randy that there's no benefit uh, for him to, to face Randy in a match. It was just really, really good. I was also a really, really big fan of when Triple H said, live by the sword, die by the sword. I thought that that was honestly kind of eerie, uh, given that I, I think that The Fiend is going to return and destroy, in quotation marks, Randy Orton, uh, almost as if it was it was foreshadowing. Like, he was telling Randy, you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. Your actions towards The Fiend are going to have dire consequences. Um, Drew's unfortunate news is probably going to shake things up a bit as we head into the Royal Rumble, but hopefully uh, he's all right, and hopefully he quarantines and things go back to normal. Uh, There's a part of me that's hoping that Goldberg kind of gets dropped from the equation, uh, but we'll just have to see how that goes. Uh, Wishing a very speedy recovery to Papa Bear Drew. Um, Hopefully he's all right. Hopefully he conquers this and comes back better than ever. Also... Man, just seeing Triple H's, like, entrance on a Raw is is always fantastic. Um, it was just really nice seeing him open the show. It was really, really, it was a good feeling. It was a, it was a nice, happy surprise. Uh, moving on to our first match of the evening, and it's Charlotte versus Lacey Evans. Uh, before the match, Charlotte is being interviewed in the back, and she justifies how she treated her father last week and claims that that's her dad, so he understands. Uh, they're they're going to get through this, it's going to be all right, and then she claims that she's just going to beat Lacey up for all the things that she's been doing with Ric Flair. Lacey, however, justifies her flirtatious actions towards the Nature Boy, and even dedicates the match to him. Uh, and right before she comes out, she blows Ric Flair a kiss. Um, they make their way to the ring. This match is underway, and for the first bit, Charlotte runs things, really bringing it to Lacey, but right when she appears comfortable, her dad's music hits. Ric Flair struts his way down to the ring, and Charlotte looks confused that he's out there because she thought that he was sitting at home. I need to know how powerful that kiss was that Lacey blew Rick, because if it was powerful enough to transport him <laughs> to the Thunderdome, it had to be a powerful-ass kiss. Just just saying. Now, as the woos settle, uh, Lacey has taken over this match, really bringing it to Charlotte, and almost showboating in front of Ric Flair. Charlotte attempts to fight back multiple times, but Evans seems to have an answer for all of her offense, After stunning Lacey with a flurry of strength, she finally gets the upper hand, hits Lacey with natural selection, but as she goes for the pin, Ric Flair grabs Lacey Evans' leg and places it on the bottom rope, causing the ref to say, hey, her foot's on the rope. He smiles while he's being, uh, you know, called out by Charlotte and says that he didn't do anything. At one point, he even says, I'm at home, remember? Super hilarious, super mind-boggling, blew me away. At this point, Charlotte is going for a vertical suplex into the ring. So Lacey is on the apron, Charlotte's on the inside of the ring, and Charlotte's going for a vertical suplex into the ring. However, once again, 
Ric Flair interferes, grabs her legs, and this causes Lacey to reverse the vertical suplex and land on top of Charlotte. The referee goes for the count, and Rick grabs his daughter's legs, causing her to not be able to kick out. And Lacey Evans gets the win with some assistance from the nature boy, Ric Flair. This was super-duper fun and very surprising. And once again, how powerful was that kiss that Lacey Evans blew to the nature boy? Insane. Must have been, it was the kiss heard around the world. I, I, I don't know where this is leading. I really, it's not, I've been seeing some comparisons online to... Uh, that classic storyline from back in the day that involved Tori Wilson and Dawn Marie, where Dawn Marie ended up in a relationship with Tori Wilson's father. I do not think it's going to go there. That is, in my opinion, completely out of question. Um, but I do believe that this is happening for a reason. I think we're kind of seeing uh, Rick play some... You know, because that's that's what Ric Flair's always done. He's always been that, like, sly heel character. And I think that that's where this is going. I think Rick is doing this to kind of prove a point to his daughter. Like, hey, I still have it to some extent. Uh, I also think that this is really in Lacey's favor. Um, I don't think she's going to get some, like, big crazy push from this, but I do think it's a good look for her to be tangled up with the nature boy. Um, you know, I, and I just think he's doing it for... You know, to feel young again. And and hopefully at some point we'll hear him say that. Because I really think that if he cut like this emotional promo about wanting to feel young again, I think it would resonate with a lot of people. And I think it would really, really be great television. So we'll just have to see where it goes. But I, I think uh, that the kiss hurt around the world. <laughs> uh, we move on to some backstage shenanigans. And it starts off with Drew McIntyre acknowledging us with his news. Uh, telling us not to play COVID down, golf clap. He also tells us to wear our masks, louder clap, social distance, incredible clap, and stay safe. I'm shouting from the rooftops. Uh, to all of this, I say, aye, aye, Captain. Thank you, Drew McIntyre, for saying these things, especially in today's climate. Um, after that, we have Seamus approaching Keith Lee in the back, telling him that he's earned his respect. They are then interrupted by The Miz and Morrison, who are once again bragging about Miz's Money in the Bank briefcase, but also challenging Sheamus and Lee to a tag team match. The big guys obviously accept, and the match is set. My one takeaway from this is that nobody has mentioned Goldberg at all up until this point, which makes me wonder, did we do it? Did we make them scrap this idea? <laughs> Or did they do it because of Drew's condition? Because of what has happened with Drew McIntyre, the Royal Rumble is kind of up in the air, and we're not really getting any solidified answers. So as this discussion continues, you will find out what happens. But for now, another match is up, and it's Jeff Hardy versus Jackson Riker. Elias apparently has a thumb injury, and although he has this injury and feels like he cannot compete, this does not stop him from interfering very hastily 
and allowing Riker to roll Hardy up and get a dirty win. Jeff is not taking it, however, as he grabs a microphone and challenges Elias to a match. Elias holds up his thumb, tells Hardy, hey, I have an injury, but Hardy responds by telling him to speak some universal truth and admit that Jackson Riker is better than him. This causes Elias to go through with the match. This also was a quick match with the right amount of back and forth, but it all comes to an end with Hardy hitting the Swanton Bomb on Elias and putting him down. It seems that there may be a wedge between the musician and his groupie, which I really like. Um, I don't really want to see Jackson Riker and Elias as like a tag team because I don't feel like that's something that I could get interested in as, as far as like long-term storytelling goes. That's kind of why I like the fact that maybe there's like a wedge being placed between them um, so soon in this little alliance that they have formed. Um, before the match started, Elias did hint to Riker that he wanted him to help him. He was kind of doing it like secretively. He was like, don't help me during this match. Don't interfere. Uh, but he was kind of like winking almost. But Jackson Riker... He either took it literal, you know, like maybe he's stupid, <laughs> and he just took it super literal and, like, didn't help him, or he does want to look better than the genius that he looks up to. Uh, this is basically just an extra layer to this story that I can honestly stand behind. Kind of excited to see where it goes. Uh, moving on to some tag team action, and it's Sheamus and Keith Lee versus The Miz and Morrison. This match kicks off and Sheamus and Lee are really showcasing their power, with Sheamus powering over The Miz and Lee powering over John Morrison. It reaches a climax when Lee throws Morrison in the corner and then shoulders him, and this causes the turnbuckle to just explode and collapse and like soar towards the middle of the ring. This brings a big old joyous smile to the big guy's faces, and they just kind of laugh as this match is paused for a bit. After the ring is put back together, Miz and Morrison have officially taken over, really bringing it to Sheamus with quick tags and tandem offense. However, after getting the tag to a very prepared Keith Lee, he comes in hot and just demolishes the two goofballs. As he sets up for a spirit bomb, Sheamus tags himself in, and Brogue kicks Morrison, puts him away, and the big guys take it home. However, despite what's been going on for several weeks at this point, this does not make Keith Lee upset. He actually kind of approvingly laughs it off. This was really, really good, and it legitimately made me smile that they were getting along so well. Um, it was just kind of like two guys who probably could have gotten along this entire time. But now that they've been through this little battle together, they're like, you know what? You're all right, my guy. However, it doesn't go well for long because my smile turns into confusion as we move on to our next match, which is Sheamus versus Keith Lee, who are all of a sudden battering each other in the ring. A literal moment ago, they were all happy and go lucky and getting along, and now they're fighting each other. I was very confused, but I was here for it. These men tear each other up. But it all comes to an end when an almost poetic spirit bomb 
is delivered to Seamus, and Keith Lee is the one who is victorious. Afterwards, there's a big sign of mutual respect. It took some bruises, but I finally think that these two are on the same page. This whole ordeal was organized really, really nicely. I love the fact that Seamus didn't get to hit did not get to hit the spirit bomb on Morrison, but he got to hit it on Seamus. And I really, really like that they're I don't know, this was like one of those we need to beat each other up to earn each other's respect situations, and I like it. I do not want to see Seamus and Keith Lee become some some type of tag team. I'm always like WWE has done a really good job of making me like worried about stuff like that because there's been way too many instances where they just throw two people together and kind of force it upon us and force us to take it seriously when there's really no foundation for it to stand on. And I don't want that to happen with Sheamus and Keith Lee. I I do think that they would make a formidable tag team, but to me it just doesn't work. I'd much rather see them, you know, going through this up and down roller coaster ride of like we like each other, we hate each other, we like each other, we hate each other type type of story. So we'll just have to see where it goes. Um, friends, we didn't do it. Remember what I said earlier about Goldberg? Well, they're talking about it. Specifically, Drew McIntyre is talking about it. Uh, he acknowledges what happened last week, and he cuts a great promo revolving around looking up to Goldberg as a younger lad. And he states that you should never meet your heroes because they'll let you down. And that is what Goldberg did to him. He then asks Goldberg if he would face his younger self. You know, that young, crazy, brick shithouse of a man that tore through everyone in WCW. He asks Goldberg if he would face his younger self. And then he says, I don't know if you would, because that's what you're going up against in me. And he accepts Goldberg's challenge at the Royal Rumble and ends it all by telling Goldberg that he's next. As excited as I am to potentially see Drew McIntyre destroy the legend of Goldberg, I am also very scared that Goldberg is going to win. I am probably going to do an entire episode someday. When I get out of this weekly rundown roundup of the wrestling that I've seen, like, thing that I do here on Babblemania and that I've done for, what, 33 episodes now... When I get over this and I start doing like the episodes that I want to do where I'm just talking about certain topics, I'd love to do an entire episode on Goldberg because my story with Goldberg is like a like a coming of age story because when I was a child, Goldberg was my favorite wrestler. And as I got older, he became like this legend and then he came back and it went bad. And then he came back again, and I was super hype, and I got chills, and I was stoked. And then it's almost it's almost as if WWE, I don't want to say ruins, because I don't want to sound like one of those guys who just shits on WWE's decisions all the time, because I definitely don't. I mean, you listen to the podcast. You know how I feel about WWE. Um, I think they get a lot of flack, and I think most of it is unnecessary, but some of it makes sense. One of the things that does make sense to me is this, like, legends situation. Because I get it. Sometimes you need to, you know, play on that nostalgia factor. But there's also, like, people's legacies at, at stake here. And they've 
in my opinion, they've kind of fucked up Goldberg's legacy, and there's no going back. I think they've messed it up beyond return. And we'll talk about it someday, but I don't know. I love the idea of Drew McIntyre beating Goldberg, uh, but because of the past, that also means that Drew McIntyre could beat The Fiend, which is something that I would really like to see someday. Um, I don't know. I'm just really, really scared that Goldberg is going to win this match, and I don't know. Randy took the title from Drew, but it made sense because they had a really, really good story, and Drew won it back at, you know, in in hasty fashion. The story that revolves around Drew and Goldberg is, it's, it's good because of Drew. It's good because of what Drew said, but it's bad because of what Goldberg said. I stated it last week, it really, it just, it didn't make sense, and there was no justifying it in any way or form. I just, I really wish that Goldberg was going into this, and maybe he will now. I think that's kind of what they did in this episode of Raw. They really made Drew look like the face, and maybe Goldberg will respond with, like, some Hill stuff, and, like, that would be okay, but I still don't want to see him win. Uh, Regardless, I could talk about this for hours. Uh, We calm down, and we move on to our next match, and it's Xavier Woods versus T-Bar. Apparently, Kofi Kingston is hurt with a broken jaw, um, which is why Xavier is all by his lonesome on this episode of Raw. But this is still very random, in my opinion. This is probably the most random match on tonight's card. Uh, the match kicks off with T-Bar really using his size to hold the upper hand, uh, having powerful answers for all of Xavier's offense. But this does not stop Woods from getting the upper hand eventually, with a massive missile drop kick that sends T-Bar out of the ring. Uh, very sketchy, also. I don't know if T-Bar, like, misstepped or did not know that he was going to be kicked that hard or maybe was too close, but he got knocked on his arse by Xavier Woods and went tumbling out of the ring. Uh, Xavier is pretty much on the outside of the ring at this point and notices the rest of Retribution and kind of shoes them away. But as he goes to get back in the ring... He kind of kicks at them because they're approaching him, and that's when he's blindsided by T-Bar. T-Bar brings him into the ring, finishes him off, and Xavier Woods has lost a match to T-Bar. Are we witnessing the fall of the New Day? Because the New Day has been such a powerful force in the world of WWE for many, many years at this point. And ever since they've gotten split up, it seems that Big E is doing way better for himself as opposed to Kofi and Xavier, who are really billed as the New Day. But since this split happened, they haven't really been, you know, they lost their titles. Kofi's gotten hurt. Xavier just lost a match to T-Bar. Like... It just seems to me like they're not able to get their feet back on the ground. And I wonder if it has something to do with the New Day attachment. You know, maybe we need to see Xavier and Kofi go their separate ways and see if they can do something as singles competitors. And then maybe someday we'll get like a a New Day reunion. On the other hand, we could be seeing the rise of Retribution, who have honestly been in really good spots the last few weeks. Um, I... I almost hate talking about retribution at this point because it's such a confusing thing to go through when I think about like their fruition 
how it all started, where it went. I, I think about Retribution's storyline throughout this whole entire ordeal, and I just I get baffled because it just it's so up and down. You know, like one week I literally don't care, and I think the idea needs to be scrapped because it's not working. And then the next week I'm interested, and I'm like, okay, well maybe there's you know a little glimmer of hope, a little silver lining on a cloud. I just, I don't know what to think, but I'm far more curious about Xavier and, and Kofi and the New Day as a whole and, and if this New Day thing is going to come to an end at some point. Uh, on to our only title match this evening, and it is Bobby Lashley versus Riddle for the United States Championship. Bobby Lashley, of course, defending. Uh, Riddle is on a high after beating... Bob last week, but Lashley is super irate and looks like he means business, and boy howdy did he mean business. He carried this attitude into this match and just absolutely wrecked Riddle. He attacks him before the match, he busts his lip open, he almost hurts him several times, and he puts him away with the hurt lock. It was just as dominant as it was sloppy. And I, I mean sloppy in kind of a good way. Because it, there were a couple of moments where I was like, he needs to calm down because he could hurt Riddle. But it also looked very, very real. And it showed how absolutely explosive Bobby Lashley can be. But also, yikes, you know. I don't want to see somebody get legitimately hurt. But I really liked the side of Bobby Lashley. It was super, super impressive to watch. It made Riddle kind of look like a, a chump, but I think that that's, you know, that's it's good babyface uh, for Riddle. He could really, really come back from that and, and look better. Um, after the match is over, Riddle grabs a microphone and challenges MVP to a fight, saying that although he could not beat Bobby, he could beat him. This prompts MVP to return to the ring, and this match is underway. Uh, MVP eventually finds himself on the receiving end of Riddle's offense, uh, and he eats a Broton. However, as Riddle recovers to go for the pinfall, he ends up getting speared by Bobby Lashley and taken out by the two Hurt Business members. Uh, really, really great heel work. Just plain great. I, I'm almost mad at myself for how I viewed the Hurt Business when it first started. I didn't really like it in the beginning. I, I didn't think it was going to work. I didn't think it was going to be as good. But as time has gone by, the Hurt Business has probably become quite possibly like the best heel faction that we've had in a while. Um, it, it's, it's fantastic. And I think they could be the heel answer to what the face New Day was. And I, I'm just, I'm here for it. It's been very, very good. MVP specifically has really, really juiced his comeback since he came back at the Royal Rumble last year. I mean, this man has... This man went from... I'm not going to sit here and say that I forgot about MVP in the WWE, but when he came back at the Rumble, I was like, holy shit, MVP. This is awesome. And, like, I just didn't think that he was going to do anything or go anywhere. But, my lord, he has juiced the hell out of this, and he is absolutely killing it. They all are, honestly. Every single one of them. The Hurt Business is just putting a hurt on everybody right now, and it's really, really impressive. Uh, after some backstage antics, we have our next match, and it is Drew Gulak 
versus AJ Styles. If Drew Gulak wins, he is in the Royal Rumble. This match was obviously quick, but I really enjoyed the giant foot of Omus scaring the life out of Gulak. Gulak gets tossed out of the ring, and he's laying face down on the ground, and they have the camera very, very low, almost eye level with a, with a face-down Gulak. And then Omus's giant foot just steps in front of his face, and his eyes get huge, and he just looks absolutely terrified. It was really, really funny. Uh, he runs into the ring, and because of this, pretty much eats a phenomenal forearm and suffers a loss. Uh, I feel bad for Drew Gulak. I adore Drew Gulak. He's such a fun wrestler to watch. Very good in the ring. Um, I really hope he makes a dandy PowerPoint presentation about this, <laughs> to be completely honest. I think that that weird gimmick could have worked if it was done the right way. It, Drew Gulak is one of these superstars because, how do I word this? There's so many people who dog the WWE for all of this great talent that they have. But one thing that I think we need to be reminded of, and I'm not being an asshole when I say this, is that sometimes just because someone is super talented when it comes to wrestling in the ring, it doesn't mean that they're talented in other things. And I don't want to take anything away from Drew Gulak. Maybe if they gave him a spotlight, he would really, really shine in that spotlight. But you have to take into consideration that he's fantastic in the ring. But something isn't there when it comes to his character, his gimmicks, his charisma. And that's, that's okay. You know, that doesn't mean he's going to spend the rest of his life doing things like this in the company. Someday, he could be huge. I mean, I never thought that Jinder Mahal would be WWE champion, but yet he became the WWE champion. And to be quite honest, he was a very good heel champion. And it was because he was given that spotlight and that moment to really try to prove himself. It just, it's one of those things. I, you know what? I'll probably do an episode on this too. You know, like WWE and why they get dogged and why sometimes it's right and why sometimes it's wrong. But I don't know. Hopefully a, a PowerPoint presentation comes out of this. <laughs> Another tag team matches up to bat, and it's Shayna and Nia Jax versus Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke. Uh, this match has a decent setup going for it with the former champs looking pissed and the blonde duo wanting to get their hands on them. The match starts off in favor of Rose and Brooke, but quickly slipped through their fingers with Jax being tagged in. The former champs get the win. However, there's a bit of turbulence. Jax goes to put Mandy down for the three count, but Baszler tags herself in and makes her tap. Nia Jax looked a little aggravated with this, but okay with the victory. I think that this falling out is almost long overdue at this point, and I really just want it to happen. And I say that, I, and I feel like I've said this for the past three or four episodes. For some reason, I have grown a very large disdain for Nia Jax. And I almost don't know why. Because at one point in time, I was a really, really big fan of Nia. I loved her character. I loved what she was doing. I loved that they were pushing her as this like irresistible force that's just unstoppable. But at some point, something happened. And I was like, I don't really want to see Nia Jax anymore. And it's, it's not me being mean, you know. I, I try to keep it honest 
and transparent here on Babelmania. I th- I honestly think it's because as good as she is at being a heel and as good as she is at just playing that you know easy to hate character her skills in the ring are noticeably bad and it almost makes me frustrated at how she's used so much i don't know i i think and i, I hate to do that because i i don't want to sound like an asshole but it's just the way it is Shayna Baszler's great. They balance each other well to some extent, but when you have someone like Nia Jax beside Shayna Baszler, it's just it's a lot more noticeable, I guess. It would be like if you put Goldberg and Brett the Hitman Hart in a tag team. You know what I'm saying? Like one of them, like as separate entities, they can be good. But if you put them together, one of them is obviously going to look worse. And I think that's what's going on here. Uh, With all that being said, we move on to our main event. After backstage words all night long, we are getting Triple H versus Randy Orton. And goddammit, guys, I cannot express how good it felt to see Triple H's entrance. And not his entrance from the beginning of the show. At the beginning of the show, it was just nice to be, oh, hey, it's Triple H. It was great. He has that King of Kings theme. He comes out in a suit. I really liked it, but this was not that. This was his, like, legitimate wrestling theme. You know, it was super awesome. He came out. He had the water. Like, who needs pyrotechnics when you got a bottle of water? Oh, I forgot how good his entrance was. It's just super-duper good. Randy finally comes to the ring intensely, but finds himself questioning whether or not he should get in the ring. Once he finally does, they tee off on one another with Randy getting the upper hand and dragging Triple H outside the ring. However, he suffers a toss into the steel chairs, and the cerebral assassin is officially on the prowl. He drops a bloody Randy on the table and then goes for his first love. Yes, his first love that was there before Stephanie, his sledgehammer. I actually don't know if that's an accurate statement. Um, I'm not sure if Triple H was doing the sledgehammer thing before he was with Stephanie. I'm not sure, but... For the sake of this, we'll say it. He goes for his first love, Sledgehammer. He brings it into the ring, staring down Randy. But as he goes to climb the stairs, the lights start to slowly go down. And once he finally gets in the ring, there's only one chunk of light left. And both men are curious as to what is going on and what is going to happen. And then, Triple H raises his sledgehammer and out of nowhere the head of it is ablaze on fire Triple H looks at it astounded and then the lights go completely out and we see this amazing image of Triple H holding this hammer that's on fire and that's the only thing you can see it's the only light in the arena and then blackness and then after a few moments A haze of purple light just awakens in the arena, and Randy is alone. That is, until he turns around and sees Alexa Bliss standing in the corner of the ring. And then she takes two steps forward and rests her chin upon the glove that reads pain, and then out of nowhere throws a fireball into the face of Randy Orton. 
potentially blinding him, but definitely scaring him. And the show goes off the air with Randy Orton rolling around in agony and shock. And I was just amazed. What a damn ending to this episode of Raw. She hit the Viper with a damn Kamehameha wave, y'all. It was absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. It was really great seeing Alexa's return after a couple of weeks. You know, we all wondered what was going to happen with that cliffhanger. We all wondered if, like, Randy burned her alive. And then when he said that he didn't, we were like, but where is she? If he, if he didn't do it, where did she go? And here she was. And this was like her little form of revenge, I suppose. I think this is the first step into Randy Orton's personal hell that he's about to go through involving Alexa Bliss and The Fiend. And I just cannot wait to see where it goes. Uh, compared to last week's Raw, this week's Raw was a very different beast. It was very good, had a very kick-ass ending. I was a very big fan of this episode of Monday Night Raw. On the beard scale, this episode of Raw gets a beard that's a bit singed after that fireball. Shoe lord! And of course, with the end of our Monday Night Raw discussion, the bell does not ring, so we keep it running. We're going to talk about SmackDown. Tonight's show opens up with Roman reviewing the contract for his match at the Royal Rumble against Adam Pearce. And he seems agitated by it. Paul Heyman, over his shoulder, says that he needs something that's a bit more him. A match that will allow him to be himself. And he says that he's going to take the contract to Pearce so it can be revised. We shall see where this goes. In the meantime, Jey Uso makes his way to the ring. Also, as he's making his way to the ring, WWE unveils a new camera as he's walking down, and I don't know what type of camera this was. I'm assuming that it was some type of, like, 6K or 8K camera. Apparently, that that's a thing. I googled it because I was very curious, but holy shit, guys. It looked so freaking good. It was so crispy. It was it was very, very nice. I I loved it. I think that they should do this for more people's entrances, uh, especially like, like bigger stars. Also, I have no idea what just happened, but I would like to apologize for that because I don't know where it came from or where it went. Cotton Eye Joe. They didn't even rhyme. Regardless, camera was amazing. Really big fan of it. I really hope they use it for bigger people. I'd love to see The Fiend's entrance with that camera. I just thought it was absolutely mind-boggling. Looked really, really clean. Regardless, Jey Uso makes his way to the ring and cuts this promo about the bloodline being in control. And he reminds all of us that the superstars in the back should be thanking Roman for what he provides for them. And that he's going to ride this wave all the way to Mania after he wins the Royal Rumble. He then shifts his energy to Shinsuke Nakamura, who did very well in the gauntlet match last week on uh, SmackDown. And Shinsuke Nakamura eventually makes his way to the ring to his babyface theme. Yes, Shinsuke Nakamura's old theme is back, and I could not be happier. I'm very glad. I just, I cannot wait till we get live audiences back in an arena and like you I can just hear thousands of people just 
chanting it. Oh my goodness, super duper excited. He grabs a microphone and tells Jay that if Roman is a big dog, then that makes Jay his little puppy. Thought it was very good. And then he just kicks Jay Uso in the head, and we have our first match of the evening. Shinsuke takes over this match from the jump, striking Jay and not giving him a chance to come back. Right when he appears to be fully in his zone, Cesaro's music hits, and he comes out to, I guess, stand in the corner of his tag team partner. He hops on commentary, and the tables have turned in the ring with Jay in control. That does not last, however, as Nakamura comes back with kicks and strikes, and after a beautiful snap German suplex, Jay catches him with a Samoan drop, and we are on to some back and forth. Strike sequences, a couple of false finishes, some big maneuvers from both men, and then the match comes to an end when Jay attempts to steal it with a dirty pin, but gets caught by the referee. While he's arguing with the referee, he gets rolled to his knees and then hit with a Kinshasa, and Shinsuke Nakamura has won. I am loving this. It is very nice to see Shinsuke right back in the swing of things. I hope he rides this wave out. More please, 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 please. Shinsuke Nakamura is like one of those guys that when he came to the WWE, there was just this cloud of ridiculousness surrounding him. It's, it's, it's fucking Shinsuke Nakamura. And the man did incredible things in NXT. He did what we all knew he was going to do. But when he came up to the main roster, there was a good moment where Shinsuke was being utilized properly. I mean, I, for one, loved the fact that he won the Royal Rumble and went on to face AJ Styles. But to be quite honest, the heel turn did not go as expected. Shinsuke was really doing a good job as a face, and then the heel turn, for me, was a big sign that greater things were to come. But it just didn't go that way, and I personally don't know why. Um, I just, I don't know, maybe it's, 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 it's just one of those things that we don't understand. But ever since the heel turn, Shinsuke's, I guess, placement in the company, quotations, hasn't really... It didn't rise like I thought it would. You know, some people go heel and, like, it's defining for them. You know, like, it sets the base for their career, and it just kind of makes them this huge superstar. And it didn't really do it for Shinsuke, which is weird because it was such an effective, shocking heel turn. And, I don't know, Shinsuke, it, it should have worked. And it just didn't for some reason. But I'm, 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 like, on board with a new face, Shinsuke, and hopefully things will roll back around. But I'm just... I'm excited for this. I need more face Shinsuke doing good things and, you know, delivering what we all know he is capable of. Uh, backstage, Paul Heyman has found his way to Adam Pierce, and he hits him with his best sales pitch for signing this new contract. It declares that the match at the Royal Rumble for Roman Reigns' Universal Championship will now be a no-disqualification match, but in the middle of Heyman's spiel, Pierce just signs it and tells him to save it saying that he knows exactly what Paul is up to. I thought that something was afoot. And I thought that Pierce had maybe just made it way harder on himself. Afterwards, Paul Heyman brings the contract to Roman, and there wasn't any games. I thought that maybe Adam Pierce was like, blah, 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 you're running your mouth, I'm just going to sign it without reading it. And it would end up being like actually, I don't know, like a 
loser has to leave the company match or something like that. Something with some really high stakes, but was not the case. Um, legitimately a no disqualification match. Uh, however, Roman was dissatisfied with this stipulation and declares that he wants a last man standing match. And he states that Pierce will sign this contract, it will happen, and that it will happen in the ring later on in the evening. A uh, little notable tidbit right here was Apollo Crews in Roman Reigns' dressing room talking to him, getting advice from him. Uh, everyone that has been involved with Roman since his return has increased in XP tenfold. So in my opinion, this is a very, very good thing for Apollo. It's almost as if Roman is uplifting everyone around him. And he's been doing that. Jey Uso, Kevin Owens, Paul Heyman, uh, just everybody that has been involved with Roman Reigns has just raised in some type of notoriety. And I think this is going to be a really, really good thing for Apollo if it is done correctly. I digress for now. We'll come back to that later. But right now, we move on to our next matchup this evening, and it is Natalia versus Liv Morgan. With their respective friends at ringside and Billy Kay on commentary. Natty and Liv go back and forth. Uh, Billy hops off a of commentary and tries helping Liv by yelling at the ref and then ends up getting in the ring for some reason, which distracts Liv, which causes Natalia to get the win. This, th there was nothing special here, to be honest. Uh, it's almost as if they're just kind of repeating the same thing. Like, there needs to be some... Something needs to happen that, like, throws this a little bit higher on the scale. But, I don't know. This just really wasn't anything special. I'm, I'm going to move on, as a matter of fact, to tonight's next match, which is Rey Mysterio versus King Corbin, uh, a match set up due to their altercation last week during the gauntlet match. Uh, Dominic is on commentary, and honestly, it was quite nice. He has a really nice voice, a great delivery. I was actually very impressed. The match itself actually revolved more around Dominic being on commentary than anything else. Uh, there was some banter from Corbin towards Dominic. Uh, at one point, he even shoved him, uh, which kind of raised the question for, for Corbin, specifically coming from Corey Graves, that what are you going to do about that? After Corbin strikes Dom in the face, he attempts to do something about it. And he goes to slide in the ring, I guess to take out his frustrations on the big guy. But he is stopped by Rey Mysterio. This, unfortunately, leads to Rey Mysterio eating the end of days, and King Corbin gets a victory. Now, the one thing that I wonder about all of this is, I wonder if we'll ever get that almost predictable but necessary happening where Dominic turns on his father. It's just an idea, but can you imagine how great that would be? And I'm not saying that it needs to happen soon, but I do think that someday it would be a great thing to see. I would love to see Dominic get better and better as almost his, his father's compadre as he walks down to the ring and he has matches and you know, sometimes Dominic will get involved in the action, but for the most part, I love the idea of that being built, and then maybe even a tag team, you know, the Mysterios. Um, and then they, they do this tag team thing for a long time, and then maybe even they win the championships, and then they lose the championships, and Dominic takes out his own father. 
I think that that would be absolutely lovely. Um, it, it's kind of just a generic thing that happens in the company. You know, it happen, It happens with a lot of people. You see the falling out, and I think that it would be stupendous entertainment if we saw a Dominic versus Rey Mysterio type scenario. Uh, for now, we live in the moment, and after the match, Ray and Dominic are in the back, and they're just kind of, you know, going back and forth about, like, what they can do about Corbin and yada, yada, yada. And that's when Ray says that he knows someone who may be able to help them. And the first person that I think of is Kane Velasquez. If this is how Kane comes back, it could be good. Kane Velasquez coming back to help them with Brock Lesnar was decent, but it didn't really go anywhere. And I was very disappointed in their match. But... I do think that Cain Velasquez could be great in the WWE if they use him in a certain way. I don't think they need to book him as like the former UFC guy who is a threat to Brock Lesnar. I don't think that needs to be involved with Lesnar at all, as a matter of fact. I mean, it's not like Lesnar's in the company anymore anyways. But I like the idea of Cain Velasquez potentially coming back and maybe doing like a, like a big bodyguard type character for, uh, for Ray and Dom. I think it would be interesting, but that's the first person that my mind jumped to. I don't know who it's actually going to be. It could be Kane. It's probably going to be Kane, but we'll see where it goes. I'm excited. I'm intrigued. We move on to a new segment that also intrigued me, and it's Bailey's Ding Dong Hello, which is almost set up a little bit like Firefly Funhouse. (laughs) It takes place in the ring like most talk shows. She's got a chair on one side that she sits in with a plaque you know, pretty much honoring her long title reign. Uh, and then she's got a stool on the other side of the ring for her guest. And then she's got a door that's kind of in the middle of the ring. And her first guest on this episode of this new talk show is uh, Bianca Belair, who makes her way down to the ring. Bailey looks like a hipster soccer mom. <laughs> um, Bianca gets in the ring, and Bailey tells her to, like, knock on the door. And it was, it was kind of funny, because Bailey was just like, who is it? And Bianca was like, you know who it is. <laughs> it was funny, but this, uh, pretty much what this show was, was Bailey essentially bringing Bianca on just so she can run her mouth and say that she's better than her. Um, she ends up shooting down a match that Bianca Belair proposed, but instead she brings up that next week uh, they should compete in an obstacle course to determine who actually is the EST of SmackDown. So that's pretty exciting. I feel like it's going to be a little wacky. It's probably going to end up in some type of a beatdown from from Bailey to Bianca, but I don't know. I'm kind of excited for it. I really just want to see like an obstacle course where Bianca Belair can like actually show how insanely athletic she is. Um, we move on to some in-ring action, and it is Cesaro taking on Daniel Bryan. Uh, This match was back and forth throughout the entire thing, with both men really, really going the distance. Uh, Cesaro was working Bryan's leg after he accidentally ended up kicking the ring post, and Bryan was working Cesaro's arm. Uh, This match reaches a climax with a bonkers vertical suplex from the top rope, Cesaro delivering it to Daniel Bryan, which leaves him suffering and he ends up hitting the neutralizer on Daniel Bryan, and Cesaro has gotten probably one of the biggest wins of his career. Uh, This was one of those surprising matches that, for some reason, I wasn't excited for. 
But then as soon as the bell rang, I was like, wait a minute. I'm seeing Daniel Bryan versus Cesaro. I should be excited about this. And then the two of them showed me exactly why that was a correct statement. Man, Cesaro was one of those superstars that, like, it, like earlier I was talking about Drew Gulak and how phenomenal he is in the ring, but how, like, something has never clicked with his character and his charisma. And unfortunately, that's kind of the story for Cesaro. Cesaro is probably one of the funnest, most incredible performers to see in a ring in WWE. And it's almost sad how little title reigns he has because we're not just, and once again, I'm not downing Drew Gulak, but Cesaro is just cut from a different cloth. He is unbelievable in the ring. So it almost makes it almost like more painful that he's never held like a big belt. But I always think back to his time in the bar and how that was his shining moment as far as charisma and just being there goes. And I'd love to see Cesaro get back to that moment. And hopefully this wow-inducing win over Daniel Bryan gives us something like that. Him and Shinsuke are really doing awesome things on SmackDown right now. And I, I hope it continues to climb. Uh, we move on to some more in-ring action. Apollo Crews and his new attitude taking on Sami Zayn with Big E on commentary, who is not sitting at the announce table, but rather lounging on a couch, wearing a super cool Ghostbusters cardigan and munching on some fruit from a fruit cup. There's also a mini fridge beside of him. It was absolutely incredible. Um, Apollo and Sammy do a tremendous job of giving it their all, almost like they're showing off in front of Big E. And for a short match, this was really, really fun. Uh, but it comes to an end with Apollo grabbing Sammy's tights. Sammy goes to pin Apollo, grabs his tights, and then Apollo kind of feeds it back to him and ends up winning the match in a dirty way. I think one of the, if not the first time we've ever seen Apollo win a match dirty. Um, I enjoyed every single bit of this. I loved Big E's antics on the outside of the ring. I loved Sammy's ongoing attitude. I loved Apollo's new view on life. All of it's very, very good. Um, Big E is like at the top of his game right now. Probably like the best he's been in a long time. And you know, he was so good. They were all good in the new day. But like seeing Big E shine on his own is is really nice. And I love that he's staying true to his his self and being that like quirky, naturally hilarious guy that we all know and love. It's just it's really nice. Sammy is still at the height of his career with this awesome conspiracy theory angle and I really hope Apollo gets worse and worse and just keeps doing more heel stuff. I I love to see it. So, very, very good stuff here in the intercontinental title scene. But, we move on to our final moment of the night. And it is Adam Pearce signing the contract for his match with Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble for the Universal Championship. Adam Pearce makes his way down to the ring. Inside the ring, we have the standard setup. We have the table, we have the two chairs, and then we have Roman Reigns and his counsel. Roman sitting at the head of the table after Pierce almost embarrassingly forgets that he's supposed to be there. And he just, he, he, 
he sits down and he signs the contract and he frustratingly slides it over to Roman Reigns, who's got a smile on his face the entire time. Because in Roman's mind, Adam Pearce just signed his own death certificate. He's just going to lay waste to Adam Pearce and force him to call him the head of the table, all because he has a grudge against him. Roman signs the contract with that same big smile on his face. Pierce takes it away from him, closes it, and then Adam Pierce grabs a microphone and states that he has waited all night long for him to do it, to do that. He goes, I've waited all night for you to do that. And then he promptly leaves the ring. And I'm just sitting there like, hold up, what just happened? As Adam Pierce is walking up the ramp to go to the back, he starts to limp. He's faking a limp, in my opinion. And he, 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 he grabs the microphone and he says, man, my knee's been bothering me for a while. And then he states that WWE contracts just kind of say the same thing over and over again with just, you know, different dates and names and, you know, stipulations and all that jazz. And he states that every WWE contract has a replacement for superstars who are unable to compete. And then he says that he has found his replacement for the Royal Rumble because he might not be able to compete because of his knee. And he brings out his choice for that replacement, and it is Kevin Owens. And when Kevin Owens' music hits, the look on Roman's face was so... <laughs> so funny he just looked irate he was literally the physical embodiment of the aw shit here we go again meme it was absolutely phenomenal it was such a good twist I am a little bummed because I honestly would have liked to have seen Adam Pierce give it the old college college try I was actually you know like just thinking of Adam Pierce's career as a professional wrestler not a WWE official Got me really stoked for him versus Roman. And I'm not saying that he was going to take the title at all. We all know that Roman is probably going to hold this championship for a long time. But I would have really liked to have seen Adam Pearce shock the world and show us how decent he is in the ring. And I would have liked to have seen the look on Roman's face when that happens. And maybe it will. We'll have to wait and see. I don't think next week is, is going to be good for Adam Pierce. I think next week we're going to see him get absolutely slaughtered by Roman and Jay. I think there's bad things in his future, but this was a really good moment, and I'm excited that this little sly trick that Pierce pulled on Roman worked. It's, uh, you know, Roman's been doing a lot of psychological stuff, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of, he's been showing a lot of, like, narcissistic tendencies. I like the idea of someone, because when you do something to someone like that in real life, you know, who's actually, like, that shitty in, in, in the real world, someone who's a narcissistic gaslighting scumbag, when you do something like that, like that to them, it almost makes their whole entire world crumble. And I really can't wait to see what Roman's going to do next week. It's, it's going to be really, really fun. Um, man, we're heading into Royal Rumble, like, hot. It's, if, if the Royal Rumble is as good as the build-up to the Royal Rumble has been, it should be a very good 
pay-per-view. And we're getting closer to my Royal Rumble predictions, and I can't, I can't wait to give them to you guys. But this was a solid, solid episode of SmackDown. There was a few downs, but there were plenty of ups to kind of, you know, make us make us smile. On the beard scale, this episode of SmackDown gets a beard that saw way too much Sami Zayn this evening. I'm going to be completely honest. That kid was plumbing. Yes, indeedy, ladies and gentlemen, the bell has rung, and you know what that means. It is time to move on to our AEW Dynamite discussion. And this evening was New Year's Smash Part 2, the conclusion to AEW's New Year's celebration. This conclusion kicks off with Eddie Kingston going up against Pac in what has been quickly built up as a big grudge match. Pac holds nothing back and shows no hesitation as he walks to the ring and instantaneously drop kicks Kingston into the corner. His pyro had literally just started going off, if that's a testament to how little of a game he was playing. After this, Pac is running things, brutally taking it to the Mad King. After a small bit of offense, Eddie throws Pac outside the ring and distracts the ref so the bunny can rake his eyes, which leads to Eddie getting the upper hand. While Pac was focusing more on strikes, Kingston was focusing a bit more on throwing him around and chopping him down. After Pac's anger starts to surface, this match reaches a climax of tremendous back and forth, with Pac being the aggressor and Kingston being the aggressee, hitting out-of-the-pocket offense and just trying to end the match. It's not enough, however, as Pac drills him with the black arrow and puts him away. After winning, he quickly transitions into his submission maneuver, which I always forget the name of, pretty much adding insult to injury. But the Butcher and the Blade jump in and split it up. As Death Triangle and them are facing off, Lance Archer comes out, runs off the bad guys, and Pac kind of gets in his face a little bit. Almost like, hey, stay out of my business. And that's when he tells Pac to get on the same page. Eddie Kingston is money. I am telling you right now that if he keeps working this way, he is going to go huge places in AEW. I can totally see Eddie Kingston taking over at some point and being one of the like the best heels in in the company. It's it's insane. Also, the idea of Lance Archer versus Pac has me drooling. I hope we get that very very soon. Our next match this evening is Chuck Taylor taking on Miro. Now, if Miro wins this match, Chuck has to act as Miro's personal butler for an entire month. Chucky T is not only fighting to avoid that, but also fighting for his friend Trent, who was taken out for several months by Miro and Kip Sabian. Surprisingly, this match is back and forth for the first bit, with T really showcasing his ability to wrestle as clean as a whistle. However, the power of Miro comes out, and that's when he takes over, making Chuck tap within minutes of Chuck's upper-handedness. Miro is another guy who, in my opinion, is going to be huge in the company. I am loving this push that they continue to give him. They just make him look like a real, aggressive, scary stallion that nobody should go up against, and... I think out of this equation, Miro is probably the one who's going to go the farthest. Um, I think it will culminate to Miro versus Orange Cassidy. I think that's probably going to end up happening at like a pay-per-view event. 
we'll see how that goes. But I think Miro's uh, really, really going to like define his career in this uh, in this setting. At least I hope so. In a backstage interview, there seems to be some tension within Hardy Party. Uh, private Party calls Matt Hardy out on taking more money than he said he was going to take. And Hardy responds by telling them that is a lesson. Quinn then calls him a money-grabbing carny, and that's when things get heated. They're yelling at each other, but Matt takes over by saying that he is in control of them. I'm actually liking this a lot because it's really nice seeing Matt Hardy play a role that we really haven't got to see a lot of in his career. Matt Hardy has always been either a face or like a really weird character. It's very... His time as a heel is very small in comparison to the other times in his career. And I think that he's doing a really good job of playing this character. And I, I really hope it does culminate into something big and grand for him. Because he's, he's doing a very good job. Um, I just need to, see, I need to see more arrogance. And I need to see him get downright dastardly. So we'll just have to see how it goes. Uh, we, we go back down to the ring. And the inner circle has made their way down to speak about their New Year's resolutions. Uh, Jake Hager kicks things off by literally just screaming the word, Championships! That's it. That's all he says. <laughs> MJF continues to say that fat people have to go. Goddamn the heat. <laughs> uh, Ortiz wants to perfect some recipes. Very classy. Honorable. But Jericho states that he wants to win the AEW Tag Team Titles with MJF, and this is what kind of throws things off the tracks. Uh, Santana gets aggravated because him and Ortiz are a team through and through amongst the inner circle. So he's kind of aggravated that Chris Jericho is implying that him and MJF could take them out. Sammy takes this to the next level by saying that Jericho is a tag team slut. Absolutely hilarious. After a bit of tension, Jericho proposes that next week we have a triple threat tag team match to determine who the official tag team of the inner circle will be. They all agree to it. Sammy does not understand that him and Hager would make a hilarious tag team name. Sammy Hager. <laughs> and Santana asks MJF why his hand is darker than his face. This could be very interesting. And I want to note at this very moment in time how Sammy Guevara almost does not fit in with them anymore. It's really interesting to pick up on. He's almost become like the black sheep of the inner circle. And I think that that's a really big sign as to who's going to be the first person to abandon it. Which, therefore, will cause their, you know, falling out. Um, I think by the end of 2022, 2022, I'm, a, I'm out here in a time machine, guys. By the end of 2021, the inner circle will be no more. And I think it's all going to start with Sammy saying, you know what, fuck this, I'm out. But I'm interested to see where it goes. In another backstage interview, it is announced that next week, after a match involving uh, Hangman Adam Page teaming with uh, the Dark Order, he will give his answer to joining them. First of all, please give me John Silver on television all the time. Please and thank you. Secondly... It's so odd seeing them without Brody. It's, I don't know, it's sad, man. Like, 
every every single time I think about, and I've been, you know, I've been going back in time and like watching some like personal things that I have. I actually have a a little bit of a moment when when WWE Live came to my parts. Um, I actually got to see Bray Wyatt versus Luke Harper for the WWE Championship at a live event, and like, God, that video and that footage just means so much more to me now, and. It's almost every single time I get into, uh, you know, some some Brody content, I just ball my eyes out. And, like, I, I think it's going to be like that forever, man. It's just, it's so different and weird without seeing him. But I think the Dark Order is going to, you know, carry his legacy very well and, and do some fantastic things. But third-ish, <laughs> this is either going to go really well for Hangman or very, very bad. I think we could see something sinister next week if he ends up telling them no. And I actually kind of hope it goes there. I really want to see Dark Order crank the bad up to like 11 and just get absolutely diabolical with their shenanigans. But with that being said, we move on back to the action. And it is assumably the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega taking on the Varsity Blondes and Danny Limelight. Or... So you would think. The Elite is all in the back, and Don Callis recommends that instead of them coming out to the Elite entrance theme, that Kenny goes out first, and then the Bucks get their own entrance, because he loves their entrance so much. Kenny comes out to probably the best hill entrance in the business at the moment, and then Don Callis grabs a microphone and tells Roberts to uh, you know take a break from announcing. He then states that our world tag team champions and Kenny's best friends are about to come out. And that is when Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, the good brothers, make their way to the ring. What a swerve. The Bucks, Dasha Gonzalez, and Big Daddy TK are in the back watching, and they just looked pissed. The Bucks look extra pissed. This match is underway, and all I gotta say is... It's really nice seeing Gallows and Anderson on television again. I personally can really tell that they are happy with life at this moment, and it reflects in their mannerisms. I don't think, and like grill me for this if, if you may, but I didn't really think that they were that good in the WWE. But in my opinion, it is not their fault. I think that they must have been you know, possibly upset with their placement, you know, maybe a little hung on like, you know, hey, could we go somewhere else and maybe do better? I th- And I, I that reflected in their personas. Here, though, they're doing really well, which in my opinion screams volumes. Uh, the challengers in this bout really, really looked good during and after this match, specifically Danny Limelight, who impressed the absolute shit out of me. However, It's not enough for the champs who walk away the victors. As they are celebrating, Moxley's music hits, and he comes out to fight. And he goes straight up Mike Valley on them and just starts taking all of them on by himself. At this point, the Lucha Brothers have made their way to the ring, helping out. Other superstars come out to split it up. The Bucks come out to, like, neutralize, but they end up eating super kicks from Phoenix and Penta, and then it all dissolves. Everything about this was great. From the segment before the match, to the match itself, to the brawl that happened afterwards, everything was timed really nicely and just top-notch. 
this promotion blending rabbit hole is super duper cozy, and I'm really glad that we're like nuzzled in it. The highlight from all of this for me, and it was very small, and I don't know if a lot of people caught it, but at one point, Tony Schiavone <laughs> went straight savage on Impact and called their next pay-per-view, We Are Dead. Dude, I literally laughed out loud. It was so Tony Schiavone. <laughs> I want to take a moment to talk about Britt Baker's waiting room, because I honestly did not think that I would. I thought that this was incredible. It felt like a throwback segment from like the Attitude Era. Britt Baker has this natural likability now that she's a heel. It's hard to explain because you're not supposed to like her, you're supposed to hate her, but she's so good as a heel, it's just hard not to like want to tune in. Cody being the first guest was fitting, and we finally got to see Jade Cargill redeem her first microphone mishap by telling Cody off and slapping the shit out of him. She really showcased her crazy presence in this situation. She's literally almost the same size as Cody Rhodes. I cannot tell you guys how absolutely stacked Jade Cargill is. This woman is a statue, and she is such an imposing sight to see. And I really, really hope that she is as physically impressive in the ring as she is. Like, you can tell that this woman takes care of herself, and she's just... I can't get over it, dude. She's tall, she's fit, she's super-duper scary, in my opinion. Just looks like a superstar. But I hope that she can e equalize that in the ring. Uh, this There was a good brawl at the end of this segment, a surprise message from Thunder Rosa. It was all so, so good. Very big fan of it. Um, I don't care what anybody says. You can eat my shorts. <laughs> uh, some more in-ring action, and this time it is Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy versus FTR. Guys, Tony Khan literally bought the rights to Baltimore's Tarzan Boy so Jungle Boy could use it as the theme. And I could not be freaking happier. What a good boss he is. Oh my gosh. This match was insanely good. Jurassic Express really proved to FTR that they need to be taken seriously. And Marco Stunt specifically proved that he can indeed go if he has to. They really took it to FTR, with FTR really being on the defensive for a majority of this match. However, that damn Tully Blanchard pulled the rug out from underneath the underdogs, throwing Marco Stunt into the ring post and leaving him to suffer the pinfall. Uh, first of all, shouts out to FTR for changing the name of their finisher to the Big Rig to honor Brody. Absolutely beautiful. But damn you, Tully Blanchard. This, in my opinion, was Marco Stunt's best showing to date. Very, very good. He impressed the shit out of me. Uh, if Jurassic Express keeps improving this way, I think that they will be top dinosaurs, not dogs, in no time. Our first title match is up now, and it is Serena Deeb, <clears throat> pardon me, defending her NWA Women's World title against Ty Conti. I was pleasantly surprised by the in-ring chemistry here from these two. Uh, this match was full of clean wrestling and really simple storytelling with Ty really going the distance and having her best match to date, in my opinion. This was a true testament to how good Serena Deeb is at making her opponents look good. 
Uh, unfortunately, Ty Conti gets put away with the detox and suffers an honorable loss. Golf claps for everybody involved. This was fantastic. I would like to point out how weird it is seeing the NWA Women's Championship almost being treated better than the AEW Women's Championship. I think that this is a really big testament to how Sheeta needs to be, like, she needs to drop that title. If this other promotion's belt is looking better than your own belt, we have a problem. And don't get me wrong, I'm loving Serena Deeb popping up from time to time and having fantastic matches, and it, it's great, but the AEW Women's Championship has gone far too long, uh, almost being underused, underutilized, and not really meaning anything. And I, I've, I've talked about it before. I'm not blaming Sheeta, but I am saying that since she's had the championship, it's been really hard to care about it, and they're not really doing anything with her. So I, I think we really need to pay attention to that. Um, I think she needs to drop it, man. Somebody needs to come along and drop it. But I digress, and we move on to our main event of the evening. Darby Allen defending his TNT championship against FTW champion Brian Cage. Darby Allen starts this match off with a bang, driving Cage out of the ring and hitting him with a gnarly suicida. However, with his second attempt, he is caught in midair and dropped with a vertical suplex. From here, Cage just decimates Darby Allen, literally throwing him from the ring to the timekeeper's area and putting him through the table. It was ridiculous. I cannot tell you how ridiculous it was. You need to go to the internet right now and watch the clip. It was bananas. Darby, busted open, just takes everything from the machine. Vicious throws, blunt strikes... It was almost hard to watch. The first sign of tenacity from Darby was after a nasty F5 from Cage, which Darby responded to with a kick out at one. At one. It was absolutely phenomenal. At this point, Darby is defiant, throwing middle fingers up and showing Cage that he is not one to give up. Regardless of what is tossed at him, he shows how relentless he is, and why he has that tattoo on the back of his neck. He turns the tables by hitting a coffin drop upon Cage, who is stretched across the steel stairs. Darby gets fired up, does some biting, uh, ties Cage's feet together with his belt, uses that advantage to unleash some nasty shots to the big guy. Cage gets out, but Darby will not let up, which brings Ricky Starks into the mix. Darby is on the top rope. Starks tries to take Darby out on the top rope, kind of succeeding, but then the lights go out. And when they come back on, Stark turns around and suffers a strike from Sting and his baseball bat. This has Cage in awe, who ends up eating a crucifix pin from the turnbuckle, and Darby Allen retains his TNT championship. Just like that, Darby has defied the odds, and God damn it, this match was absolutely phenomenal. I had an idea during this match, and I'm throwing it out there for you to hear. In my opinion, now that Darby Allen is TNT champion, and re remember, this is Darby Allen's first defense as TNT champion, I think from here on out, for the rest of Darby Allen's championship reign, 
I think he should kick out at one. I think he should never reach two. I just think it was so shocking and so it did so much for his character when he kicked out at two. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I would love to see more of that. And I honestly think them doing that would make him losing the title, which is obviously going to eventually happen, I think it would make it mean a little bit more for the person who takes it from him. And I just, I don't know, I like that. It was something small that I noticed and thought to myself, and I just needed to express it. I also wonder when him and Sting are finally going to have that moment where they, like, talk, or maybe even more, you know? I I don't know what's going to happen. This was the most action we've seen out of Sting since he uh, came to AEW. Him hitting Ricky Starks with that bat twice. He uh, chopped him in the throat with it and then hit him in the guts. It was really, really nice, but... I'm very excited to see Darby and Sting interact with one another. And I don't know how I want it to happen. Maybe like a super cool video package, Darby style, black and white, sitting somewhere in a field, something catches on fire. I don't know. I think it would be super duper interesting. But holy shit, this was a damn good conclusion to New Year's Smash. An incredibly good episode of AEW Dynamite tonight. Uh, On the beard scale, this episode of Dynamite gets a beard. That hates creeps and hates liars. Shouts out to Darby Allen. And of course, ladies and gentlemen, with all of that being said, we have reached the end of Babblemania. Thank you uh, for listening to me ramble about professional wrestling. Um, I know I talk a lot. I know I babble. But that's what I'm here for. Um, and I just I appreciate you listening. Next week, I will be talking to you guys again. And it's Royal Rumble season, which means it's almost WrestleMania season. So get hype. Fun things are upon us. Do not forget to follow me on Instagram at Babblemania. That is B-A-B-B-L-E-M-A-N-I-A. Also, follow me over on Twitch, twitch.tv slash hair, where I do live reactions to professional wrestling events. And also, check out my music on Spotify. Bobby, that... Guys, I just had some Dunkaroos fall, and they're all over the floor, and I'm pretty upset about it. <sighs> fucking outros that was actually the first outro that was going to go well and these dunkaroos ruined it god dang it regardless check me out on spotify bobby that bearded kid rap game bray wyatt thank you for listening i will talk to you guys next week (sighs) smooches babylon babylon let's get to babylon it's all about some wrestling babylon hey Babylon, let's get to Babylon, it's all about some wrestling.